Hi guys, welcome to episode 6 of the Project Stay Alive podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and today I am so excited to introduce to you one of our very good friends, Verita Richardson. Verita is my wife's best friend, and we are so lucky to have her in our lives. She joins us today on the podcast to talk about health and wellness and how to support yourself during or experiencing loss. Um, Verita is an events planner and influencer and is building the coolest, most supportive, most inclusive social media presence. You can connect with her by following her on her various social media platforms. They will be featured in the the show notes. I cannot wait for you to meet Verita. Just a few trigger warnings before we get started today. The first is that we do discuss self-harm and Brita's past experience with it, as well as the support that she received from family and friends during that experience. And we also discuss some of her non-traditional methods of caring for herself, which include the use of CBD and cannabis. If discussing the use of CBD and cannabis bothers you, then you may decide to not listen. But it is really important to me to feature a variety of guests on this show without judgment and bias towards the ways that they create and experience wellness. And so I'm just not going to shy away from those different um, interventions and the different ways that people engage in self-care and connection. Farida is a, a big advocate for the use of CBD and cannabis, and I'm totally in support of her and anyone using what works for them. With that being said, I hope you keep listening to hear her story. You will fall in love with her just like I did. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and follow to support our show. Okay, with all that aside, keep listening to me, Verita. Verita, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. I'm so excited. So for everybody who's listening, I actually like text messages a text sent a text message to Verita a few months ago basically saying I have this idea I know that you do this I need you to tell me everything that you know <laughs> and so here we are now I think this is going to be like episode six of the project stay alive podcast yes and you're finally here I'm so excited right finally <laughs> okay so the way when they join the podcast and they are tell us who you are what you do and why you care about mental okay so who I am my name is Verita Richardson I am an event and wedding planner as well as a social media and branding mentor Um, I also go by the name or the title should I say of influencer and blogger because I love to create online content and Project Stay Alive is important for me and just this whole collective overall with really just one, making mental health a topic that is more normal or not necessarily normal, but more so open, just something that we can talk about. It's on the table. It's not something we have to hide, but also really just that reminder that you're not alone and there are others here to support you. I love it. I couldn't have said it better myself. Okay, well, we are so glad to have you here, and um, we want to know, just generally, kind of, tell me about your mental health experience, your experience to kind of living well. I know that it's been a journey for you, so share whatever it is you are interested in sharing for us. Yeah, so overall, mental health for me growing up wasn't necessarily always a topic that was touched on in my family even though I do come from a family of nurses and medical professionals that wasn't always something that we talked about Um, I definitely do feel um, part of that influence was that I am African-American and mental health isn't always commonly talked about in our communities and I feel like over time 
um, just with our social obligations, for lack of better words, the concept of how are you feeling isn't necessarily emphasized as much as what are you doing in the world? What do you have to do next? So that wasn't necessarily always a hot topic in my family as much as, um, you know, personal relationships, physical health and things like that. So growing up, I wasn't always in tune with one, my own feelings. Um, I definitely am not always fond of owning up or admitting the feelings and emotions that I have going through my, my head or my body, if you will. But um, when I was probably around 13, I suffered from my first kind of experience with depression and self-harm. Um, for me, you know, looking back, it, the reason that first drove me or drove me to that decision um, to self-harm myself, it's kind of silly, but I do know at that time I was hurting and I was in a place where I did feel really alone and isolated. But with that first experience and also just having these sad feelings and thoughts that I later learned and were able to identify as depression, I felt really alone and isolated and I didn't exactly understand that I wasn't the only person going through that, especially around my age, around that time. Um, So for a long time, I kind of just kept it to myself. I really just almost felt as if those feelings and some of the negative thoughts I had were almost just like a prolonged sadness, but that prolonged sadness would hit me at different times in my life from the age of 13 to 18 and just didn't always know how to cope with in a healthy way. Um, Moving forward, I would say I really started to become more intentional about my mental health when I was about 22, 21, after I lost my mother to pancreatic cancer. And I knew one going into that experience that I needed to start building my support system with whatever could happen with her diagnosis and her treatment. But Additionally, I also knew that I needed to take care of myself. Um, Prior to losing my mother, I had gone through a really, really hard heartbreak and breakup, and I did not take care of myself in proper ways. I definitely relied on alcohol a lot more than at the time I like to admit. Now, looking back, I understand that was also a cry for help, and I was allowing social activities to kind of influence the ways that I self-soothed that weren't always healthy. Um, so I knew going into, especially towards the final days of my mother's life that I did not want that to be the way I coped, but I also knew it wasn't just about the actions, but it was also my thoughts. So I became more conscious and aware. The first time I ever did go to therapy was after losing my mom for grief counseling and it helped. Um, I was grateful that I kind of broke down this door, if you will, of, I don't want to talk about it. I like, no one needs to know. No one's going to understand. And I finally just allowed myself to really put it all out on the table, especially with a stranger at the time. Um, I did become more familiar with my therapist over time, but I would say that in a really big nutshell (laughs) is kind of the overall um, look and view at my mental health journey. And it's definitely blossomed since over the last three years, really, and just becoming more intentional about, Hey, how am I feeling? What, maybe causing this. Uh, Maybe it's a specific time of year. Maybe there's a specific event that I just had that I didn't feel too confident in. And some of my self-doubt is pulling me in different directions where otherwise wouldn't. So over time, I've just been able to become more comfortable understanding myself, but also asking for help when I need it. Yeah. Gosh, isn't that such a hard thing to do to ask for help? It is. It's the hardest thing. And I feel like 
especially for myself this is something I talk about with my partner often like I am a helper like I very much want to help people if I see someone struggle or in any way not have a clear-cut answer to what they want to do or even just you know a perfect idea Um, and you know they're still kind of molding it from a brainstorm stage I love to help I love to offer um, you know love and light and just be there for people but when you have to ask for it, that is a completely different story. It's, it's an, it's almost crazy. Like being able to give help is so easy, but asking for help in return can really be a struggle at times. Yeah. I just wish people knew. <laughs> yes. Like, could you just read my mind? Yes. Oh gosh. I, one day soon. I'm, I'm sure we'll just have like signs on our foreheads. There'll be like the taxi signs where it's just like the words will come across it, but it'll just be like mood angry walk away Yeah, <laughs> upset ask me what's going on okay so you said a lot and I want to touch on all of those points um I want to get back to when you were younger because I think that self-harm is a really normal um thing that like young people deal with especially but this is something that I'm still kind of working through um mm-hmm. and and I want everybody listening to know that like um it can sometimes seem really especially people who have never struggled with self-harm, overwhelming to think about somebody self-harming. But um, I want to rephrase it for or reframe it for people because it's actually a way of staying alive for a lot of people. Like I would so much rather hear that somebody's self-harming than they're planning their death. So talk to me about how you recovered from self-harm. I would say the biggest Well, the first reason that I even kind of went into a recovery mode was actually when I was in eighth grade. So the first time I self-harmed myself was in eighth grade. And later in that year, I was actually at basketball practice and my mom actually saw some of my scars, some of the recent cuts that I had on my arm. And I thought I was sly, you know, thinking like no one could really see them, things like that. But it's it's your mom moms are moms always know moms always see things that we think we can hide and things like that and she saw them on my arm and her face it was almost kind of heartbreaking because I could tell first she just kind of asked me what is this and I tried to be like it's nothing it's nothing and since I had to go back to practice she dropped it but I could just see the look on her face was just she was just in complete shock but also you could tell she just didn't understand but she wanted to and the hardest conversation I think I probably ever had with my mom was that following conversation. Um, We got home and then she sat me down and she just made it clear that she loved me. She didn't want me to hurt myself. And she was also asking, you know, why do you feel this way? Why do you feel like you need to hurt yourself? And because I never even expected to have that conversation with my mom, I really didn't have much to say, but knowing how bad it hurt her, to see and to understand that I was in pain. I feel like realistically at the time, that was all I could really say was just, you know, I've been, I have a lot of feelings and I don't always know how to get it out. And I feel like if I said anything, that was probably about it. But my mom made it clear she loved me. She didn't want me to hurt myself and that there were other ways that we could find help or I could get stress out in ways that weren't harmful to me and my health and my body. And that kind of opened my eyes, not necessarily at the time because she made it clear there were options but just because I felt like she cared and a lot of the times that I did find myself self-harming it was because I didn't feel like anyone cared I didn't feel like anyone could relate so when my mom first saw those that was a big 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 eye-opener but the second thing was also just 
asking for help. I got to a point where I, it was kind of exhausting trying to hide certain things from my friends, whether it was scars on my arm or just the fact that I was upset, just the fact that something was going on outside of school, outside of practice that was bothering me. So really just putting it out there. And I did have great friends. I guess at times you may come across people that are just like, well, that's bad. Don't do it. Saying it's bad. Don't do it. Oftentimes we already know this um, people that are going through self-harm on, you know, choosing to self-soothe in that way. That is kind of something that I feel like is known, you know, it's not necessarily a quote unquote good thing to hurt yourself. So no. I thankfully did have friends that weren't so, I wouldn't say harsh, but direct with their advice or just their feelings. And they made it clear, hey, I would rather you talk to me. I would rather us go shoot hoops. I would rather you journal. Um, they helped me find options and find other ways that I could get out of feelings and emotions, even if it was without my words still. And that was a huge help and also just made it clear. And I think the first time too, it's okay to recognize something's wrong. It doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean you're bad, but it's okay to recognize something's wrong and to want to change that. And that was thankfully between my mother and my friends I had at the time, that was something that I was able to see and start to accept. Yeah. It sounds like you had some really good support. Mm-hmm. Um, and your mom, that. oh my gosh, she did everything right. Didn't she? Oh yeah. And I feel like I know, even as an adult, there's times I almost feel confused a little bit. Like I said, my mother was a, uh, a nurse. She was a medical professional. And there were a lot of times where certain things would happen, whether, you know, her seeing my scars or even when I came out to her, I can almost kind of see her medical training, like her reverting to her medical training about the best way to handle those situations even if it is um, just kind of, I wouldn't even say out of her comfort zone, but at the time it may have just been new to her really. Um, But it almost, again, still kind of baffles me. Like, you know, why won't those just normal conversations? Like I learned most about puberty from like the American girl books rather than just like sitting down and having conversations. And I understand, you know, those are your babies. You don't always want them to grow up and, you know, you're not always sure how to have certain conversations, but that was always something I was kind of curious about. You know, we, she was very big on, you know, how to stay physically healthy as an athlete um, how to nurture my body so that my brain would function well to make sure I was you know, able to focus and be clear-minded in school. But when it came to dealing with the negative feelings and um, things that we don't talk about as often, it wasn't always a conversation. Yeah. I um, I wish I could have met your mom. That would have been awesome. Yeah. Oh, you would have loved her. She would have loved you. That would have been amazing. Um, okay, so I'm so glad that your young self got the support that you needed from mom, from, from friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested to know about um, any other kind of formal support that you accessed over the years of any, any like therapy or um, anything like that. So a big thing that I'm a huge advocate for, as you know, and if any of um, our listeners have seen me on social media, a big thing for me that has aided me with my mental health has actually been cannabis. Um, I I remember when I still first smoked cannabis, I wasn't necessarily crazy about it, but after I lost my mother, I, my use with cannabis went from being recreational more so to medicinal because I, again, with my experience with cannabis prior to, I did have a couple of strains that made me tired and made me sleepy and, um, or maybe even made me a little more social. So 
I got to a point after losing my mother where I still had about four months left of my senior year of college. So my mother passed right before I actually walked the stage for my college graduation. And I just wanted to tough it out. I really just wanted to get through the semester. I went to college in Illinois after going to high school in Oregon. So I was ready to go home. I was ready to get out of the cold, especially because I graduated in December. But cannabis was the only thing that was able to help me sleep, was able to help me stimulate my appetite. Um, Oftentimes, it also was able to help me get out of the house on Fridays or get out of the house on Saturdays and feel like I was social and I was for lack of better words, put put together enough to go out of the house and leave. And once I was able to finally move back to Portland in about 2017, and it was only a year, but it was awesome. I was then able to learn more about cannabis medicinally and go to recreational dispensaries and really talk to bud tenders who are knowledgeable about different strains. And with that, I have found many products that helped me. Um, One of my all-time favorite strains, which I will always talk about, is Dutch Treat. The first time I had that strain, I can say that is the first and only strain I've ever had and used that I felt and could notice a significant difference in my mental state in a very positive way. If I am having very dark thoughts and I were to um, smoke Dutch Treat, um, those thoughts were able to fade I was able to sift through them. I won't necessarily say that they just faded and, you know, the clouds moved and the sun came out and everything was perfect, but I was able to process more. Hey, why am I feeling this way? What led to this? What conversation? What words? What um, feelings prior to coming into this conversation or this situation are making me feel this way? Or if I was really upset, if I was angry, if I was frustrated, um, We all know that grief can come in waves as well as it has its stages. When I got back to Portland, it was hard to be there because that was the last place I lived in where I lived with my mother. So I was very nostalgic. I was happy to be home. But a lot of the times I would pass the hospital she used to work in when I would go home from visiting friends. So it was kind of hard to go through those things. And there were a lot of times like I would just get mad. And again, Dutch Treat brought me down I was able to calm down sometimes it just turned into tears which again totally fine I'd rather you know sort through it with a couple tears than just be upset and just be angry but um, aside from just that one strain I've able to I've been able to also learn more about CBD and THC and just other cannabinoids that we can find in the plant and find different things that help me whether it's to soothe my anxiety before I have to go to a work event or whether it's to help me sleep Um, one thing I very much struggle with is insomnia. Sometimes if I don't have what I really refer to, it just as my medication, but if I don't have cannabis or the proper strain being a a city or an indica or something high in CBD, sometimes I can't sleep. Sometimes my body is wide awake until five in the morning for absolute no reason. (laughs) At least that's how I feel. Um, so I would say that has definitely been a huge, huge, um, factor in, the progression of my mental health. Yeah. It's always one of my favorite things about this podcast kind of adventure that I'm on is Mm -hmm. learning about how people manage their mental health because we all have so many different ways. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I know that there's people out there that will listen to this podcast and, you know, their ears will perk up to hear somebody say like cannabis or, you know, marijuana or Mm -hmm. um, CBD is like such a big part of my wellness and they might, 
you know, inevitably have some thoughts or feelings about it based on the way that we've been socialized to believe about things that, that have previously been or still are illegal. Definitely. Um, but so for anybody listening who maybe feels that way, I challenge you to really listen to what Rita's saying because, you know, there's so many of us who maybe go home and have a glass of wine mm-hmm. on those nights that we're really, really overwhelmed. And, um, you know, that, that this really isn't that far off for you from being able to get to a place of, I know you meditate and really mm-hmm. reflect and connect and like that, that, that is a tool that you use similar to how I use my Trintelix, right? Yeah. It's a prescribed medication. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really the beauty in it. And I, I very much advocate people. I mean, I know there are definitely some people in the industry that believe, you know, plants, not pills. But for me, I really just share my journey and my experience, not because I think everyone should be a cannabis smoker. A, I love having my cannabis smoking friends. I love having my cannabis supporting non-smoking friends. But at the end of the day, I truly just believe if there is something that you want to enhance or there is something that you really want to like look into, whether that's, you know, working on a new diet or really forcing yourself like yourself even to just take on a project you're passionate about um, or even just finding solutions for your mental health, find what's best for you. I think that's the most important thing, whether that is finding a prescription that works best for you or finding a strain that works best for you overall if you like it, I love it. I just want you to be happy. And then that's one thing my girlfriend and I will say, like, I just want you to be as okay as you can be right now, whatever that means. Um, so that's pretty much my, <laughs> what I always want for people, whatever that looks like. Yeah, definitely. I was telling um, somebody, I think like on my last podcast, I was saying someone told me the other day that the days are long, but or the, yeah, the days are long, but the years are short. And it's like, our life is truly so short like we're so limited on time I just want the time that I have to be filled with the activity activities that I want to do and the people that I love and the things that make me feel okay yeah I love that okay so let's transition on a bit because one of the things that I have read a lot about on your personal blog and we'll include the links to everything that Brita is doing um in the show notes um are how you managed losing your mom at a really young age. I know that that cannabis was a piece of it, but tell me a little bit about how to take care of yourself in the process of this devastating experience that you had. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing that first helped was forcing almost kind of like we talked about earlier, but forcing myself to ask for help. Um, I think Again, the concept of help can be very intimidating, but sometimes it's just small things. For me, by asking for help, sometimes that was just calling a family member to just have a conversation, not even because I needed business advice or moving advice. Maybe I just wanted to kind of, if you will, hear my mother in them, but also just to have someone there. Um, I can even struggle personally with just asking for support even if it just means I want someone to come sit with me and watch TV, but I don't really want to talk. Sometimes I just get so much in my head about it may be an inconvenience for that person, or maybe they don't want to do that. We should do something else. So I got to a point where I told myself being selfish isn't selfish. If there is something I need because it's going to make me feel better, definitely and healthy in a healthy aspect, um, then I feel empowered 
And if I don't, then I should feel empowered to ask for that. So um, first, just asking for help, just putting my support network out there. And my mother was the second oldest of seven siblings. So I still have two aunts and two uncles that very much keep her spirit alive. And I see a little bit of her every time I look at them. So just being around my family and sometimes it's that's a big part is just being around people who knew that person that's important to you that you may have lost um I think in my own experience I felt kind of a different type of weight when I had to explain who my mother was and share who my mother was so sometimes it's just a huge relief just to be around people that get it and that know her and that you can just share memories with um additionally setting up boundaries for yourself and standing by them. A couple of boundaries I personally have. Um, I'm not really crazy about, I've never really been to Thanksgiving. My mother and I never really celebrated Thanksgiving. So Thanksgiving, Easter, um, any, essentially for me, any holiday that's not really Christmas. Um, I don't always have the easiest time being around other people's families during that time, because all I can think about is how much I miss one, my mother, but two, my family, um, kind of like it's probably been a little clear um I lived with my mom growing up most of my life my dad actually lived on the east coast but my mother's family also did so I only really saw my close family once a year so being around other people's families at a certain time it really just puts me in a negative headspace and I don't feel like I'm contributing to the experience so um celebrating family holidays with close friends is a boundary I have um also dates I do not allow I don't work I don't book I don't do anything on my mother's birthday as well as her passing date and also my birthday as well I've never really been a big birthday person but all I ever really did care about was that I was with my mom for my birthday so since that can't happen I do allow myself to have that space so setting boundaries is also a really big thing that has helped um yeah so I think those would be the two biggest things that in my experience have helped, but also just kind of allowed me to continue moving through life, continue growing myself as an individual, but also just growing my social network, meeting new people and sharing my experiences would be my support and my boundaries. Those are, I love that those are ways that you want to take care of yourself, but also keep your mom's spirit, her, her person alive. One of the, mm-hmm. One of the things that I read on your blog was that you like to just like randomly cook your mom's best recipes. Yes, I think I I was a health and I was a health and fitness coach for about three years. So the topic of junk food is always like, you know, sometimes it's a little taboo, but I feel like no matter what type of lifestyle you're living, you should always allow yourself to indulge in your soul food. If your soul, if your body is legitimately craving something, it's for a reason Yes, scientifically, it could be because you need a little more salt or a little less salt and other things like that. But for me, it's more at a soulful and a spiritual level. If your body is saying, I need this, sometimes it's also saying, I need comfort. Um, I need excitement. I need to just feel nostalgic. So a couple of my go-tos for my mom, she used to make this chicken and broccoli casserole growing up as a kid. And my mom was really like the mom that did it all so I was a very independent kid at a young age so even if my mom had to go away for a conference for a weekend she would always leave me an extra casserole and I knew exactly how long to put in the oven for for it to be perfect so my mom's chicken and broccoli casserole is a huge thing for me as well as her mac and cheese she kind of had like 
a simple but really delicious way to make her mac and cheese. So sometimes if I'm just feeling like I need a hug, I need a mom hug, or I'm in a place where I really just wish I could ask for advice, um, I'll make one of those dishes. And while I eat it and I sit there, sometimes I'll even watch one of her favorite movies, like they're on waiting to exhale and just reminisce and in a sense kind of just have dinner with my mom or enjoy a meal with my mom and even for her birthday at times I'll also invite very close friends and family to enjoy some of those meals as well because I was my mother's only child so those are often those are also meals that I often only shared with my mother where it was just the two of us so we really bonded over those whether it's like mac and cheese in a cup on the way to basketball practice or we're taking the casserole right out of the oven to make sure it's ready by the time we get to a friend's house for a potluck. Um, just a lot of memories, I think, are built around food and, and not even just food, but things that you really do with your hands, whether that's a craft or gardening. Um, those things for me personally, I've found a lot of comfort in just doing them by myself, but with my mother in mind. Yeah, that's so awesome. I, um, well, my uncle passed away uh, at the beginning of the year. And so um, my aunt gave Tori and I some of his canned um, like fruit and also jam for a bridal shower gift. It was super sweet. She had it all packaged, all cute. And so Tori's been eating her way through like the the canned pears. And I've been trying to (laughs) give, I've been trying to give all of my friends when they come over, like some of his jam. Um, And it's, I'm sure it's, it tastes like average jam, but I'm like, but it was his jam, you know? Exactly. That's all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. The food is such an incredible way to bring people together. Um, and that's a really good kind of segue into what I'm really also interested about. You mentioned that you were um, a health and wellness coach and I follow your Snapchat and your fitness videos and <laughs> I, I am inspired um, so tell us a bit about your fitness journey. You played division one softball and it's a big part of how you manage your physical and mental health. So tell us a bit about that. Yeah. So I played college softball for two years and then decided not to return to the team. It, it was just kind of my time to do my own thing. And at the time I joined a sorority and sorority life plus non-athletic life led to some weight gain and college life led to some weight gain. Um, so I'm sure some of us can relate. So the final year I was in school, my mother, that was the final year or pretty much the year my mother had gotten her diagnosis. And with stress of that, as well as like I'd mentioned, I'd gone through a pretty serious breakup um, right after actually I'd gotten my mother's diagnosis. So I was kind of going through a heartbreak while coming to terms with my mother's diagnosis all at the same time while also trying to finish the rest of my classes for college the weight came on and I didn't really care. I didn't really mind it at first. I was still, you know, enjoying life, but I did get to a point where I just wanted to be active. I just wanted to be the athlete and feel like the athlete I had once felt, felt like. And after I lost my mother, that again was another thing that I knew I wanted to be on top of. Um, I played basketball in fourth grade through high school I started playing softball secondly baseball in first grade all through school and then through college um, or a little into college so sports was a huge thing that connected my mother and I not only you know her picking me up and driving me to games but I I was a competitive athlete Um, I played competitive basketball and softball essentially year-round and with that we traveled all over the country San Diego New York Colorado Arizona there are a lot of different places we traveled to so 
a lot of my favorite memories and a lot of the times I know my relationship really strengthened with my mother was during my athletic events. So after I lost her again, I did not want to rely on alcohol to be a crutch while going through grief. So that was the time I figured I, and also I just knew I am going to be experiencing a lot of feelings I've never felt before. I'm not always going to feel my best. So I need a way to cope. I need a way to get the energy and the feelings and the emotions out. And up to that point, the only way I really did that was through sports. Um, Even, you know, if I was having friend troubles at school, by the time I got to basketball or softball practice, it's almost like within that two hour, two, three hour time frame, nothing else mattered. I couldn't even focus on anything else. It's just my sport. How can I improve? How can I help my teammates out? Um, you know, what's coming up for the next game? What do I need to think about? And it was so freeing, you know, granted, it can be a little bittersweet when everything kind of picks back up as soon as practice is over. But I also remembered through high school that I was also able to process things. I was also able to cool down from situations or just figure out my next step. So I knew that part of my grief recovery needed to essentially be working out. And so I just started moving. I wasn't always a lot. Um, You know, it was frustrating being able to go from three hours practices to being winded in 10 minutes from doing a little cardio. But I knew, like anything, it's all about the baby steps, start putting in the work and the results will come. So for me, my yes, I wanted to be a little slimmer. I didn't want to necessarily feel all of the weight I had felt on my body for the first time being at the highest weight I was in my life at the time. But also, I just needed to move. I just needed to get energy out and moving and things like that. So over time, my workouts gave me a huge boost of energy in the morning. They put me in a good mindset. But physically pushing my body, physically overcoming obstacles is a huge confidence and ego. I don't even care. Huge confidence and ego booster for me. And I know that about myself. So I was able to hit different health and fitness goals But the biggest thing for me was that I was doing something for myself and that I was waking up at vaguely the same time every morning to get my workout in. But even if I had moments where I didn't want to work out, I didn't want to do anything, the reason I was able to push myself through it wasn't because, you know, I have body goals, X, Y, Z. It for me was more so this is for lack of better words, my medicine for the day. This is my therapy for the day. I need to do this so that I can understand these feelings, but also so I can just move and I can get anything that I'm settling with out. Um, Unfortunately, but more so bittersweet um, also occurrence that was going on while I was going through kind of my first year without my mother, I was also in a really unhealthy relationship. So by working out, that was also a way I was able to set a boundary for myself because the partner I was with at the time wasn't into working out, had no interest in it whatsoever. So it was also, for lack of better words, my sanctuary, my safe haven. All I did was work out at home. I loved it. But I knew if I got up by this time, you know, if I got my workout in between this time and this time, I would have essentially the house to myself. Um, Everything would be quiet and I would be able to just focus on myself and get things done. So again, with those boundaries, making time for yourself, um, definitely important. But health and fitness is a huge part, not just of my mental health, but really of my life. I've always been an active person. I've always wanted to be a team player. So by seeing that through and by making sure I still kept up with something active, um, initially I wanted to get back into CrossFit. At one point I wanted to do powerlifting. You have to do either of those, but by just simply being active, my head is in a better space. But I also kind of feel like 
I'm still making my mom proud by being active. I'm making her proud by setting goals. Even if it's like, I've, I've never really been a push-up girl. Like I'm, if you guys see me, I'm, I'm a curvy girl. I'm a big girl. Push-ups have never been my forte, but um, at one point last year, I was able to successfully do 15 push-ups. Like for me, okay. that was a heat, right. I'm like, for me, that was a huge win. So setting the small goals and overcoming them consistently and just seeing that small progression kind of up the ladder, if you will, that is also another way that I feel empowered, but I also feel like I'm making my mom proud because I am not staying stagnant. And I think overall, that's the big thing is don't stay stagnant. Don't stay still, not necessarily to just be frantic, but be methodical, be intentional and do it for the right reasons. Yeah, I love this. And actually, it's it's funny because I I needed to hear you say this and I work out, you know, five days a week and I run mm-hmm. and Um, but the last few months after I ran my marathon, I totally just got out of my normal routine and I'm back at square one and it's really hard emotionally to be back there. So to hear Mm -hmm. you say, you just get up every day and you take it one day at a time. It's such a good reminder. Yeah. And I'm actually in that place right now. Um, I injured my hand at the beginning of this year and had to get some stitches. So between that and a couple business events, I was like, you know, I have to recover first and then as you know, I even like tweaked my ankle on the wedding day. (laughs) So it's like, I've had like small little injuries here and there, but also just been overwhelmed with life. So I am ridiculously off the wagon right now, but I actually just had that conversation with my partner on Sunday. I was like, you know, I need to move because I, when I'm not active, I can feel myself almost as if like a box is starting to build around me and it's just starting to shrink. And by staying active, I'm able to keep my space. I'm able to like keep that box away So um, sometimes you just feel it. Sometimes you're just like, you know, I need to do something. I need, um, I need the endorphins. (laughs) It's funny because your body knows what you need before your mind can kind of catch up. Oh, so true. So tell me about learning to accept your body. Yeah. That's been a journey for you as well. It definitely has. And I think I've, my body acceptance journey almost has like two stories in a really in two totally different ways which ultimately actually explain my handle my Instagram handle my overall brand curves and muscles but growing up as an athlete I was always the biggest kid I'm about right now I'm I'm about 5'11 and I'm about you know 275 pounds so I've always been a pretty I've always been a tall kid always generally been the biggest kid on the court or field for sure Um, but my I'm really grateful that not only my family, but also the coaches that I grew up with were really big on understanding, not necessarily that size doesn't matter, but size can, you can use your size to your advantage. And also that every body, every um, type of player has the things they're really good at and that we can capitalize on and a couple things we can work on. And so I always really appreciated that because I never felt singled out by a single coach, like, oh, you're like the posts are going to just do like nothing or like the posts are going to run or I've had some friends that played lower positions that didn't always have the kindest words but I'm really grateful that my coach has taught me how to use my body to its advantage use my butt to box out and take up space in the key Um, use my long arms and legs to as a first baseman to stretch and make sure we get that out as soon as we can so by understanding the power my body had and I think I really did play two sports that allowed me to accept that but being a basketball player I was able to be physical I was able to use my width to take up space in the key to make space for my teammates. Whereas as a softball player, I was able to use my height. And again, thanks for basketball. Um, At the time, a little speed. 
um, to make sure I could get around the bases and to just make sure I was a great defensive player, you know, laying out as much as I could to help out my second baseman or just go in any direction I could. I'm not going to get into all the sports, all the sports terms. I know you know them, but um, for me, I was really taught how to accept my body just for a machine. And I feel like realistically, I didn't totally come to terms with that until I was in high school. Um, I did just always kind of feel like the big kid, but as my sport pretty much like playing sports for me did get more competitive, which was closer to like sixth, seventh grade. That's when I was appreciative for everything I had. Um, I was confident walking into the gym. I was proud to be the biggest girl in there because sometimes I wasn't just the biggest girl, but I may have also been one of the most athletic even. So it felt good to understand my body and the advantage it had on the field and court, but also to feel it to uh, that. I think that's when I became more in tune to feeling like, Hey, I feel strong. My arms feel strong and really understanding the difference between um, being, I guess, being out of shape and being in shape, but also knowing how to maintain that. Um, additionally, kind of the second part of that story would be after I stopped playing college softball and I was no longer an athlete because I did just kind of see my body as a machine and just, um, something strong and powerful for so long. I don't feel like I always allowed myself to appreciate the femininity of my body. Um, I am pretty busty. I got a big butt. I have an hourglass shape. So I didn't know I was, I wasn't always really a girly girl growing up. And I feel like a lot of times I just kind of like pushed away girly stereotypes for whatever reason like looking back now I don't know why I said I hated the color pink while I was younger because some of my favorite outfits are pink now so it's kind of funny but I feel like a lot of us go through that but I was able to embrace my curves and I I almost remember it so distinctly like there was a tour in my college town and after it was probably three or four months after I stopped playing college softball I was looking for an outfit to go out in and I had been to a lot of stores close to me that I had normally been able to shop at, but now at that point I was too big and I just felt very upset. I felt very ashamed. I felt disgusting at times for lack of better words, shopping in these stores that I could no longer buy things in. And I just had a really negative mindset, but then I went to a store where things were made for my body shape. Things were already in my size. The chance to size up or size down was pretty much a hundred percent possibility all the time I went in there and I was able to just understand and see my body as more of an accessory rather than just a tool if that makes sense and I was able to say you know when I wear this I feel xyz way whether it's um you know now when I wear crop tops I feel confident if I wear business pants I feel very powerful um so I was able to then start to appreciate my body like I said just for being curvy and just for also adding to my personality and the way I present myself either socially or professionally. So it has definitely been a journey, um, but I'm grateful. And so for me, curves and muscles really represents the two sides of that story. Curves represents me being proud of myself um, and the body I have, as well as, you know, I, I love being, um, I love being a woman of color and my pretty much my curves come from both sides of my family but more so like my dad's side and um, my body also just represents my culture for me as well whereas the muscles is just an ode to my athletic past as well as my athletic heart my athletic heart's never going to die I'm always going to be competitive I'm always going to be that person that is ready to throw my sneakers on if you have a really good competitive challenge or physical challenge for me so um, 
it's been a journey for sure. Um, but it's been a great one. And I'm, I'm really grateful for the people I have had in my life around me, whether it was coaches that encouraged me to be, be proud of my body or the stylist in the store that helped me be comfortable and find clothing styles that went with my body shape so that I would always feel good no matter what. Yeah. I love it. It's such a, for me, like knowing your brand and having been on all of your stuff and seeing Mm -hmm. what you're up to, it's really cool to hear the backstory. Yeah. Um, one of the things that bothers me so much as a woman is that they cap sizes at certain stores. Like my 15 year old self who was like, you know, a size 12 at Hollister or American Eagle or whatever that crap was that we wore back then. Mm-hmm. Being like always feeling like, okay, I can't gain any weight or I can't get any curvier hips because if I do, I won't be able to shop here. Yeah. That's where everybody goes. I mean, that was so traumatizing. It really was. And like, I know that's when I very much started to gain that shame, if you will, because I think. I didn't even care, but, like, my mom bought my clothes until I was, like, 12 or 13, and then I remember going on a shopping spree with my sister to, like, TJ Maxx, Um, but we had a great time. I mean, I love TJ Maxx, don't get me wrong, but that was the first time around 13, like, I was really shopping for my own clothes and actually would go out on shopping trips with friends, but all the time they wanted to go to stores, I couldn't shop there, and it was really discouraging, and it just felt crappy, and, like, that's even an extension of a boundary I actually have for myself now. Um, when I go shopping with friends, I refuse to go to stores that don't carry plus size because it doesn't make me feel good. I don't like the thoughts that go into my head when I walk into a store and I just have to sit there and watch other people shop and have fun while I can't. So, um, I even have a list in my phone of stores I can go to like forever 21s and Charlotte Russes that are size inclusive on all scales. So anyone that walks in, anyone I walk in with, no matter their size, as well as myself will be able to shop. Can you please share that list with me? Because I want to include that on our Instagram page. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, please, please. Okay, you said something, um, and this takes me to my last question for you before we go to the end of the podcast questions. Um, And you alluded to this at the beginning of the the podcast, but talk to me about your experience being a woman of color who's also struggled with her mental health. Because culturally, I know that you've told me that... um, in the past it it has been or you were raised to just be like keep it pushing keep it moving Mm -hmm. right like we don't have time for this kind of a deal so yeah talk to me about those intersecting identities um I think it's it's been interesting especially as I have not only opened up about my mental health over the years but also just accepted and been open to learn more about my mental health over the years because I could honestly say I don't I don't talk about mental health as much with my friends of color as much as it may come up with my friends that may be Caucasian. And I think that's such an interesting dynamic, just such an interesting kind of social fact I've noticed within my own friend group. But um, I think it can just be, it, it can just be hard because you don't always know, am I struggling? And even like I said, when I first now understand I was going through depression, I really just thought I'm just really, really sad. Like, it's just a sad day building on a sad day. It's going to be fine. Like sadness, sadness fades. Um, But when you don't feel like you can talk about it or you feel like you're going to be met with like, uh, I never was personally met with this, but a big one that the black community talks about is like, you know, you just need some Jesus, just pray on it. Um, Things like that. Sometimes I don't feel like our communities identify a problem versus a hard time. 
And sometimes those are the same. Sometimes they're one and the same. But, you know, going through, you know, getting a bad grade on a test versus losing someone or um, having a breakup and having something that kind of is longer over time. I know, at least for my family personally, and even my friends, like, there was never really a difference or um, a, a strict discernment between this is common and this is something we do need to talk about. And because I feel like um, just historically, honestly, like people of color in this country haven't always exactly had the, op- well, had the platform to speak out when they are struggling, but also we got for lack of better words like we got to keep it pushing sometimes like sometimes that is what you need to do to keep up with the next person um who may not be of the same race or even just to stay up with everything that's going on in your community so i don't always feel like we have platforms or that we have really made it a topic that we can talk about instead it's kind of like almost as sad and kind of heartbreaking and hurtful as it is it's almost as if that's like an expected norm almost like you're, if like, you know, if you're not working hard enough or you're not doing like hard enough and you're not stressed out, like you're doing something wrong. And I know growing up for myself, like I had times where I kind of felt that too. It's almost like, unless I'm working myself to death and I'm a little stressed about what I have to take home or what may be coming up, like I'm not working hard enough. I'm not doing something right. Um, now I've definitely been able to break that perception down a little bit, but I think just because it's not something that's talked about and I also feel like one big thing too is just like not even just for black communities or Mexican communities or any communities of color but just for our society really and just our community overall like I wish that we did just have these topics come up more in school um, and just in other pop places where we, we're all interacting just more public places and public situations where it's hey you know how are you doing but you know, the expected responses and like, oh, I'm fine. I'm good. How are you? It, but more so, uh, you know, I had a bad day. I was feeling kind of down, but you know, this is where I'm at now. I really wish that we could make it so that our norm is to actually care about people and actually ask people what's going on and how they're feeling versus just glazing it over for themselves and others. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm hundred percent on board with you. I, um, I know I personally need to stop saying I'm fine because mm-hmm. I lean on that too much. Like, no, actually, I'm not fine. I haven't been fine for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I think um, the best we can do is just keep trying to hold ourselves accountable for being honest and open. Definitely. And also, like, for me as a, you know, as a mental health provider um, or as a social worker, however I want to identify myself, it's about allowing, you know, groups of people, minorities, um, people who have experienced less privilege than I to share their story and to access resources that are, you know, culturally relevant and mm-hmm. acceptable. And um, so it's really interesting to hear your, your experience. Yeah. Brita, thank you so much. How do you feel about doing some end of podcast questions? Yeah, I'm down. Let's do it. Okay. Tell me one thing that you have coming up that you're really excited for. Ooh, one thing. Um, I think the most, the first thing that comes to mind, I'm actually working, I'm a part of a planning committee for what is called the Women, Weed, and Wellness Retreat. It will be in Indio, California, September 20th to the 22nd. 
I'm really excited about this. This is actually the second time we're hosting this event this year alone. It first launched in May, but we had such a great turnout, such a large amount of interest that we decided to do it again. But this was an amazing experience. The first time for me, we had a lot of different activities that really hit all types of health, the way I like to say, um, your mental health, your physical health, your spiritual health, even your relational health, if that's something that you take into consideration or feel is important. We had women from all over the country there. We medicated with cannabis all weekend long, but we also had fresh vegan eats. We had belly dancing to move a little bit and yoga. We also had a couple different meditations that were able to um, you know, really open our hearts and really allow us to look inside and do some deep like digging but also just share it and kind of even like we just talked about, you know, moving past the, oh, I'm fine, but really bearing your soul and being vulnerable. Um, and we also had a paint class too, just to kind of let the creativity flow. So I would say that is the most exciting thing I have coming up just because we already did it once. I already know this round two is going to be even better, but I stepped away from that weekend, even though I was on my feet the whole time, even though I was behind the scenes for most of it, I just stepped away from so refreshed and I just felt as if I truly felt complete and like everything I needed in that moment right before the retreat I had gotten in some way shape or form by the end of the weekend so I would definitely say that's the number one thing I've got going on right now yeah I saw the photos um, and video from your last retreat Mm -hmm. it it looked so cool so fun yes I'm like you need to come out and that's the thing too yes we have you know, cannabis going around all weekend for those that do like to indulge. But even if you're not a cannabis smoker, but you are still interested in connecting with women um, and going through the activities we have, you are still very, very much encouraged to come out and join us. We really are about the community and the wellness. Like we don't just say women, weed and wellness with emphasis on weed. The wellness part is really where our emphasis is, as well as making it an open space for all um, identifying women. I love it. Okay, so now that I have an invite. Um, yeah, please. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not partaking in that other part. I'll be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, please. Okay, tell us, tell us um, one thing that you want people to know about mental health. One thing I want people to know. Um, the most important thing for me, for people to know about mental health, is that we all have it. We all need to be aware of our mental health. Um, but on top of that, I think it is important to not necessarily be aware, but at least be receptive to knowing that other people have mental health and whether, you know, we are working on things internally or externally, um, be kind to yourself, but also be kind to others. I very much believe the saying, you know, you don't always know what someone's going through. So while that may be true, I think, you know, just show a little courtesy here and there, be kind to people. But also if you feel someone being hostile, if you feel someone being upset, ask them about it. Don't, I feel like a lot of times we can just jump to being defensive, myself included. I know I definitely can do that, but take a second, breathe, and just think about, hey, if I was going through something, how would I want to be spoken to in this moment? And just kind of offer that courtesy. You never know how checking in with someone after a lash out or just having a conversation period with someone could totally improve their day, but also make a positive impact on their mental health. So just be kind. <laughs> that is such a good reminder. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Final question for you for this podcast. And then of course I'm going to have to bring you back. Yes. Um, I would love to. Give us one reason to stay alive. 
Hmm. Gosh, I was like, I, I was, I was ready for that because I, I was, I was like, oh mom, we're gonna have to talk about this, but like you just said it, and that really just like hit me. Um, this has actually been something that has actually been going on in my inner network is the concept of feeling like you belong and feeling like you're, you know, being tired of whatever's going on. And I think um, you have a reason to stay alive because you have a purpose as well as having a purpose on this earth. You, you matter. And I know oftentimes when I have someone come to me, whether they're going through suicidal ideation or just a really hard time, I can turn it on myself and say, you know, you matter to me, you matter to X, Y, Z people, but you matter to you. Um, you have a reason that you belong here and that you are here in the very first, in the first place. And you deserve to see why that reason is. You deserve to stay around long enough to find your purpose and to understand, Hey, this is why I'm here. Sometimes it's small things like teaching kids. Um, sometimes who knows, you may be the next person to, cure cancer we never know but you have a reason that you're here you deserve to be here and overall I I know Sarah and the entire projects um, stay alive team we love you and we just want to see you live your best life whatever that means to you couldn't have said it better <sighs> Brita thank you so much I love you I I feel so blessed and privileged to know you and thank god uh I married your best friend because we wouldn't be here doing this. So glad you married my best friend and just so glad I was also able to be a part of your guys' special day. It was beautiful and I love what you're doing here. Like, I know I encourage you to do it, but you have really, like, this is already even better than what you even first explained. So thank you for making this project. It's so awesome and very empowering, but also it's relatable and you're helping so many people with this. So I'm really glad I was able to contribute in a little, in a small way. (laughs) Thank you, friend. Of course. All right. I'll talk to you later. Sounds good. Bye. Okay. That was so, so fun. That was. Um, okay. So should we just, I don't know who's going to have the content. I don't know if you're going to have it or I'm not. So let's stop um, recording and see what happens. Okay. okay. Um, I'll give you a call back. Okay. Bye.